0: Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent, Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." And to, the church of, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they, have, say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because, I have, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will come or keep you... can't even read this morning. I will, also, I will Let's start over. I, will, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly, Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have plans for us related to this passage that go far beyond what any of us know. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to have hearts that are teachable, that are humble, that are ready to obey by your grace and by your power what you have to speak to us today. We pray, Lord, for our church. We pray, Lord, that it would be the type of church that you want it to be. We know, Lord, that you said you will build your church And so we don't want to build that which you've said you already are going to build. So we pray, Lord, that you would use this for your purposes. We thank you that you want to work in our lives more than we want you to work in our lives. We are grateful for your Father's heart in that way. We pray that your Holy Spirit, that he would be our teacher. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would be glorified during this time as we worship you in the study of your word. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Every time you begin a new year, it's great to... Uh, just look at what's going on in your life. Often the the new year is a time of reflection. You think about the old year, think about all the resolutions you didn't keep, uh, and you consider those in light of the new resolution l- l- resolutions that you might want to uh, start in your life or whatever. I mean, this world goes a million different directions related to... Uh, you know, planning for the new year. But it's healthy sometimes if the Spirit directs, especially for just to stop and just say, okay, where are we at? Where are we at as a church? Where are we at as uh, believers in our walk with the Lord? And so, uh, of course, I was planning on jumping right into Colossians chapter 2, just chomping at the bit to get there. And the Lord redirected my heart. And so um, he had a different plan. So we want to be sensitive to that. So I believe he wants to re-examine ourselves and as we head into this new year as a, as a fellowship, as a family, as individuals, and, and to just um, look at what he may want to speak to us uh, in this, for this new year. And any time in, in when you're looking at examining yourself, whether it's a, it, during the time of the new year or any other time, sometimes it's helpful to, to call upon others that know you well, And also it's helpful at times to call upon others that that love you the most regarding uh, assessing your situation or your life. Because you know those that love you are going to tell you the truth. And sometimes people will come to us and they'll want to help us. They'll see a concern in our life. And we get offended because sometimes we don't want to hear what they have to say, whether it's true or not. But we lash out at them. And, And God wants us to not do that. He wants us to be Open and teachable and humble, and, and, and recognize that when someone comes to us and they say there's a concern that they have in our lives, that they're doing it at great expense to themselves because they're risking being rejected, they're risking uh, being lashed out on, uh, out or out. And so, we have to be careful with that. And God puts people in our lives and, and, and He moves on them at times, and even sometimes He may, he may not move on them. to to say something, but they say something, and we have to be uh, teachable, and for sure not be upset with the fact that they be telling us something that we don't want to hear, because they're doing it because they care. So that happens in our practical everyday life, but here we have, especially as as, uh, we're looking at uh, our, our lives regarding being the church, and what our spiritual growth needs to be, and so forth, we have someone that cares for us intimately more than we could ever care for ourselves, and that is the Lord assessing our lives, And and also someone that loves us more than we could ever love ourselves, and that's the Lord as well. So here we have, in in Revelation chapter 3, we have Jesus assessing seven, or actually uh, two churches that we'll be looking at. But in this section, he is examining seven churches in Asia Minor. For those of you not familiar with Revelation, the Apostle John is exiled to an island called Patmos. It's about 95 A.D., this is about 25 years after Jerusalem fell under the Romans. Uh, he's the last apostle that, that I'm aware of that would be alive at this time because all the other ones were, uh, were martyred or uh, actually specifically were martyred uh, in the in the late 60s, uh, the last of Peter and, and, and Paul and so forth. They were martyred. And so this is way after that. And the apostle John was very young at the time of Jesus' public ministry. He was in his teens most likely. And so he's very young uh, at that time, but now he's an old man. And he, has, he stayed true to the Lord, and he, he didn't run away and scatter at the cross. That's why many believe that Jesus um, said to him uh, and before he ascended that there's one among us that is going to remain with me. And, and, and he didn't die a martyr's death. They, history records that they tried to, to, to kill uh, the Apostle John and tried to boil him in oil. Didn't work. Uh, That's what history records. I don't know that for sure, but nevertheless, he died of old age, and he was released from Patmos. Most likely, he ended up in um, Ephesus. Many uh, church fathers record that, and so here he is. He's separated from the rest of the body. He's he's there in this island. He's on the Lord's day, as we're told the beginning of the book of Revelation there. And most people believe that's Sunday because that's the day that the Lord rose from the dead. And the the Lord Jesus uh, gives him a vision. I mean, gives him a revelation. He gives him his revelation. And so the, the, the Apostle John here is re- recording all of this, and in chapter 1, verse 19, we're told that Jesus told him this, the Apostle John. He said, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Kind of an outline for the book of Revelation. Now, we're not going to get into this in depth, uh, we're going to get here, actually, we're going to be here before you know it, because there's not many longer New Testament books that we have yet to go through, except maybe Hebrews. So we'll be here before we know it, and it's very hard for me to teach uh, verses and not get into all the, every little thing just about and, and, and dig super, super deep. You know, that really what we're going to be doing is just highlighting basic principles out of these verses, and then we'll get to all the historical context, uh, you know at least in, a, in depth. Uh, when we uh, when we get here, when we go through it. And it's, it's taken a lot of self-control for me to weed out a lot of things that I just, ooh, yeah, I gotta share that. And, and that seems to be the case many weeks where I just have to decide after all my time of study, what do I weed out? Because it's God's word and, it, and there's so much to it. So I believe as we look at these churches here, uh, God wants to, 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 to look at these things in light of what does he wanna to speak to us about as a church, as individuals. You can't really separate us being spoken to as a church, and from us being spoken to as individuals, because God doesn't really see a difference between the two, because one so affects the other. We as a church, as a corporate body, that affects our individual walk, and our individual walks affects the corporate uh, body, and so he, he's speaking to us these very critical things, and it's important for us to, to listen to what the Spirit says, and he'll say it before the end of our text, to listen, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we want to hear what the Spirit says to, to our church. We want to hear and not just listen with our... There's a difference between hearing and listening. If you've been married any length of time, you, you've, you've learned that. There's a difference. Uh, and it's usually on the man side of things. You know, uh, huh, what? And you heard, but you weren't listening. And, and this is talking about a spiritual perception. It's not just talking about understanding it from a spiritual standpoint. It's talking about receiving it in a spiritual way, to, to understand that this is spirit and this is life, that his words are spirit and life, and that they're meant to do a spiritual work in our lives so that he can produce a spiritual outcome through our lives. It's very important for us to see that. When we went through Romans and we talked about that God's word needs to be spiritually discerned by those that possess the Holy Spirit, We talked about it in terms of a radio, and radios, in fact, that's getting pretty outdated. The youth are gone. I don't know if they're even sure about what radios are, um, even today, with all the things that are out there. But when you turn into the right frequency, you get to hear, and you get to perceive. And that's kind of a great word picture, because as we look at God's word at any given time, we're supposed to be tuned in in a spiritual sense, so that we can hear and perceive and weigh things spiritually like he would have us to, 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 uh, to process. And so that's what he's wanting us uh, to, to, to hear and receive and act upon today. Now, John begins in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things say, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So that now this is him speaking, Jesus speaking. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. It's important for us to know that many, in many of these churches, he's speaking in the beginning. A lot of times the language will, will uh, reveal this, that he's emphasizing in who he's speaking to as the angel there. Because he says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write." Now, the first question that we have is, who's those angels? And he speaks to the angels there at every time that he speaks to uh, one of the churches. And the, the word angel means messenger. And we think of the angelic hosts. We think of these, these spirit beings that God created that are messengers of him. Oftentimes through the scriptures, we see them m- giving messages. And we think of, you know, when Jesus is born and you have the angels giving the messages to, uh, to both Mary and Joseph there. But This is talking about a human messenger, and most people believe this is talking about the leader, the the human leader uh, in the church and and in these churches. And because they are messengers in a sense, and, and they're not mediators, we have to make sure we know that. Uh, the, the, the leaders, the elders, and so forth. They're not, they're not mediators between God and man. There's only one who, who is a mediator between God and man. That is Christ. But they are messengers. And so Jesus is speaking to these messengers. But when he's speaking them to the messengers, he's also speaking the same content to the people that, can, that constitute the church. And so it's, it's one in, in the same here. So now we need to know a little bit about Sardis. These are all churches that are in Asia Minor, there in the area what we would refer to as Turkey today. And Sardis had, and we'll get into this when we get into really get into it. Uh, but Sardis had lived a great. Um, the Sardians, is that how would you say it? The Sard- Sardines. There, yeah, the Sardines. They they had a great uh, they had a great existence. You know, they had this at this time. They 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 declined, and, and so there's there's. A lot of military history related to them being overtaken and so forth. We'll get into a little bit of that in a moment. But um, this church was was basically um, known, after John wrote this, as the church that needed to be resuscitated, you know, clear, you know, like the, getting the defibrillator out and, and spiritually, you know, helping them get a heartbeat again. And that's what Jesus is going to get to. And it's noteworthy for us as we begin these this instruction of these churches is to see that Jesus' assessment is what's the most important assessment. Because notice he says there at the middle of verse 1, I know your works. I know. Jesus knows. He's talking to these pastors. He's also talking to the church. I know your works. Now he's going to talk about at the end of verse 1 there that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. But Jesus has the most important assessment of them. And there's three things that he really gets to. He see, he begins by telling them that they had works. He does recognize that they have works. He does see our works. Jesus looks at our church and he sees the works that come forth through the church uh, that represent us here. He sees that what we do in our personal lives. He sees what we do collectively as a body. He sees what we do in related to ministry. And so it's good for us to know that because we can go through and just you know, go through life and go through ministry life forgetting that Jesus is watching. Jesus is watching what this church engages in related to ministry. He sees the, the outreach ministry. He's watching every time that we go out and, and help the, the poor or the homeless or we reach out or we, we go and we encourage somebody or, or we uh, serve children or whatever it is he might having us be engaged in. He sees every one of those things. He just doesn't see, oh, they generally have an outreach ministry, and I see that. No, he sees every decision. He sees every act of kindness. He sees everything. He, he notices every single thing. But he also tells them that they had a good reputation. And he's talking about their what people uh, thought about them from without. He says that, that you have a name that you are alive so everyone from without saw that they were were spiritually alive. That would be the conclusion. If you went and asked somebody, "Hey, what's the church of Sardis like?" Oh, they're alive. In our vernacular, it'd be they're happening. That's a little bit dated, um, but uh, they got it going on. Or I don't know how what the what the cool thing. How would you say it today? But they are. They that's that church is alive. That's what everyone would say. But then Jesus comes in with amazing clarity. I love his clarity, unless he's convicting me. Sometimes I don't like that as much, but he comes in with clarity, and he says, the reality is you are dead. You are, you are dead, <laughs> and this is highly instructive for us, and it's, I think it's one of the, the lessons that we need to, to take away from this, especially as we think about this new year and what he has us doing for him, is that God's definition of success can be entirely different than ours. Entirely There's a lot of mail that churches get, and I talk about every once in a while, about how to have the dynamic church, and the successful church, and all these things. And they have defined for themselves what success means. They know it. In fact, they're selling it to you. (laughs) They're selling how to have what their definition of success is. And I'm not saying it's all bad at all, but there are a lot of things that are, you're like looking through your Bible going, "And where is this? Where is this? I don't understand. And so, for us, especially in our individual lives as well, God assesses our lives completely different sometimes than we (laughs) assess our lives. Now, the entire church, as we see here, can be completely self-deceived because this church and the leaders, he's speaking to the leaders too, the leaders can be completely off track related to where we are spiritually and if we're alive or if we're dead. We can be completely Self-deceive. We can fool ourselves, and this this verse here tells us for sure we can fool others. We can have we can be the picture and the 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 definition of what people would say would be a a healthy church that's dynamic and 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 doing all these things, and that Jesus is looking at it because he sees all of it, and he says, "My assessment is that you're you're dead," and so that should alarm us. I mean, that's what the passage is supposed to produce in our lives. Wow. We don't want to be a dead church, thinking that we're alive, and we don't want to be spiritually dead, and this not not degenerate-wise, but in terms of fruitfulness for the Lord, thinking that we're doing a lot for the Lord, and we're really not, and we're not being useful at all in in his uh, in his hands, and so that's what we want to we want to look at, because on an individual basis related to our walk with the Lord, I run into far more believers who are deceived into thinking that. They are more mature than they are than those that are deceived into thinking that they're less mature than they really are. And I, and I point to myself. I've been deceived many times. And that's why it's important for us to be engaged in the things that God wants us to be engaged in. Because if we are, it helps, us to, it helps to break through all that deception. See, the word of God is described as like a mirror. That when we look at it, it gives an accurate description of what the standard is, and how we fall short of it. And we're told that we're not supposed to walk away from it, forgetting what we looked like. And so we need the Word of God. And, and, but it doesn't stop there. There's also something called the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is important, related to us not being self-deceived, because other believers are, can challenge us, and exhort us, and encourage us, and help us, and support us, and pray for us, and recognize there's sometimes we don't see things in our own lives. That God leads other people within the body of Christ to say, I see some things that, that concern me and I, I care about you and let's look at scripture together or how can I pray for you or whatever it would be. Thirdly, there's the, the role of leaders in the church and those are supposed to be seen as something that God, some people that God can use to help us and to help us have an accurate assessment of our spiritual walk And and to me, I mean, and I for sure don't want to put too much emphasis on leaders at all, and and I hope you don't misunderstand me in this, but we have to recognize who has God placed in our lives to help us, to help our walk uh, with him. And and so often they're not taken advantage of in the way that God would intend for many reasons, and God doesn't want that. So he places his leaders, he places the rest of the body of Christ, and, and he places his word in our lives, among other things, to help us to not be deceived. And so that's what he's called us to, and that's what will will help us. Now, we also see in verse one, Jesus reveals the cause of this condition or what they were lacking, and he does so in a way that's really unique. He does it in the way or he does it in such a way where it's revealed in how he comes to them or approaches them in this letter. Notice he comes to them in verse 1, and he says, He who has the seven spirits of God. Now, what is that? Nobody can say 100% that they know what that is. I just want you to know. I don't care what commentators say. But it's highly likely that Jesus is referring to the fullness of the Holy Spirit, because the number seven in the scriptures is always the number of completion or fulfillment. And so you see that over and over again in scripture. And so I believe he is saying that the completion or fullness of the Holy Spirit, that he, he possess, that's who he is. That he has the spirit. Now there's times in scripture where the Holy Spirit's referred to as, as the spirit of Christ. So he possesses the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit in the sense that he is God and the Holy Spirit is God. But he's referring to them, he's talking about their need in light of, uh, of who he says he, is coming on his behalf or, or who he has or who is on his side or who he's ministering with. He's ministering with the fullness of God and the Holy Spirit. So in part, he's coming to them and revealing to them what's lacking in their life by how he's coming to them. How he's saying, I'm coming to you with the fullness of God. I am the fullness of who he is. And so that's what they were lacking. When you look at them being spiritually dead, they were no longer led by the Holy Spirit. They were no longer being dependent upon the Holy Spirit. They were no longer being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus comes and says, I'm coming to you. I have the seven spirits of God. I have the fullness of God. I have the Holy Spirit is all, he is all you need related to your own personal walk and the collective walk of the church together, That's, that he is all uh, you need. When he's removed, then you're dead. Because again, good activity, good works were going on. People were looking from, from without and assessing that church as something that was alive. Jesus said you were dead because you can't see the dependence upon the Holy Spirit in their lives. You can't see the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And in our lives. You can't see those things. So people from without can't assess it that way. If they could, then they wouldn't come to the conclusion that they did. They'd come to the same conclusion that Jesus did, that they were spiritually dead. And when you're dead, you're no longer useful for, in God's hands, and you're no longer appealing to this world. We are called to be salt and light, to cause thirst in people. By living a life that's pleasing to God, we will cause people to say, I want that. I, I like the way that that life, what that life looks like. You know, I just think of Tebow, so popular right now, that football player that loves the Lord, who's giving his life away all the time in many different ways off the field. The world is learning what his life is like outside of the the, the, the field, and it just makes no sense to them, because it's always about giving. That's what's coming out of his life. That's what's getting a lot of attention right now. But what if the rest of the body of Christ were like that, and we're Giving and giving, and I'm not trying to beat up on the church. Any of us can find fault with the church at any time, but there's a lot of good things that God's doing through the church. My point is, is that we're supposed to be appealing. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be attractive. They're supposed to see the Lord in us and go, "I want." What is it about that guy or gal that I just want to be like them? Someone has said this: the impression regarding the church of Sardis is that the assembly there was not aggressive in its witness to the city there was no persecution because there was no invasion of the enemy's territory no friction usually means no motion the unsaved in sardis saw the church as a respectable group of people who were rather who were ra- neither dangerous nor desirable they were decent people with a dying witness and a decaying ministry wow someone has said that they were dying a beautiful death that they looked a respectable death, they, they were spiritually dead, they looked great on the outside they could we always think that spirit that someone, if, if a church is dead that we 're going to be able to see it so easily and We have all these stereotypes of what a dead church would look like, and most of the people that are in what we would consider dead churches they don 't know they 're in a dead church, many of them some of them do but but it's interesting here that he says that there's, there's no appeal, there's no saltiness, there's, there's no uh, people wanting to be like the Lord because they come in contact with that group. They see a lot of activity. They have a lot of the fancy stuff, maybe. I don't know. And, and there's fancy stuff that can be used by the Lord, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. But they were missing the Holy Spirit leading them. They were missing. I love reading about Paul in Acts chapter 16. He was forbidden to go into this actual this area, actually. He was forbidden to go into Asia Minor, in that certain part of Asia Minor. He was forbidden by the Holy Spirit. And then he received a vision at night. Of this man from Macedonia saying, come help us. And because of that, he went uh, westward across the Aegean Sea there. And he came to Philippi, and the, and the church was brought to Europe, and the truth of the gospel was brought to Europe because he was directly led by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't getting out his book how to, how to do church for in, in Asia for dummies, you know. He wasn't looking at all the manuals. There was no manuals. I could have bought 20 books on how to plan a church when we uh, obeyed the Lord and, and coming here. I could have, and you know, may, there are probably many things in there that could have been helpful, but I wasn't led to do that. And, and we are just, we're just trying to be led by the Holy Spirit. And we don't know what we're doing, but he does. And so I want no explanation for what happens, and uh, uh, way more important than what I want, God wants n- no explanation for what happens among us, except that God is among us and that the Holy Spirit is, is leading us. That's why he chooses whom he chooses. One of the first things that happens when God calls us to something is we sense our inadequacies. You got the wrong guy. And we see that, or gal, we see that all through the Old Testament. Moses, I can't speak the way I need to speak. God was gracious and let Aaron speak for him. But that wasn't ultimately God's plan. God God wasn't limited in that sense. And so he uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He says "There's there's not many mighty, not many noble are called. He doesn't say any. There are some that the world looks at, they're impressed with, that God has to do a lot in their lives to get them to be usable and not prideful. But he still can do it, and he still does do it. I'm not one of them. <laughs> but uh, there are plenty of people out there, I'm sure. Paul was probably one of them. But he uses boneheads like us so that He, when he works, they don't go, oh, it's because he has a million initials behind his name, or he's so brilliant, or, or he's so educated, or he has this background. No. They go, that must be God, because there's no way that God could use that guy uh, I mean, that, that unless he was submitted to, to, to the Holy Spirit. The longer I pastor as a senior pastor, which has been about three and a half years now, the more I, need, I, I see the need for all of us to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And I want, to, I want to hear that, not just because we know we should say it, but I mean, mean it from our hearts. That we, we say, I don't know what to do, <laughs> but I know the Holy Spirit knows what we should do. And so often I'll ask the leaders, and it's going to increase and increase. I'll ask them, what's the Holy Spirit saying to us? What's he saying? Because I don't care about what I want. I don't, so many times God has led us to make decisions that have gone against our preferences. I'll also speak for myself. There'll be so many times where he'll say, I'll want something. And I'll, I'll think this is the best way to do it. And he'll make it clear through many different means. That's not what I want for the church. Okay. And every time I've yielded to that, everybody's been blessed. And so I don't want it to be of me. I am an under-shepherd. I'm not the senior pastor. God's the senior pastor. He's the chief shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. And so as I get out of the way, then he can do, and this goes with each one of our lives, as we get out of the way and don't necessarily go by common sense and don't necessarily go by what the world says, how everything should, should function in our lives. But we go to the scriptures alone. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We live on the word of God. We feed upon the word of God. That's how we get our minds renewed and that's how he directs us by his Holy Spirit. But also he gives us specific revelation for our lives and says, this is what I want. And you know what? It may not make sense. It may not make sense to you sometimes decisions that are made around here because it started out not making sense to us, <laughs> but God says this is what I want, and it may not go. Of course, it's not going to go against Scripture, but there's going to be plenty of times where I don't know why He says to do this. Dave had to deal with not having me going in Colossians two this week because he's thinking about the songs that we're going to sing, and it just you know I called him sorry, you know it's not my fault. He changed it on me, you know, but it boils, it, it trickles down into each one of our lives. Now, Jesus gets to the solution in verses 2 and 3. He says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. So he tells them to be watchful. He tells them to pay attention. One of the evidences of being dead and not being dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and not being led by Him, is that you're, you're not sober-minded. You're not paying attention spiritually to what's going on around you. You're oblivious. Some men and some husbands are like that around the family. They're, they're not paying... The, 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 the wife is, knows what's going on with the kids, and the kids are going around, and they're lighting things on fire right next to the to the husband, and he's like, oh, everything's great. You know, I'm just... just duh, just not paying attention. But spiritually speaking, he's saying watch be watchful it reminds me of someone on the wall there with nehemiah building that wall be watchful be on the lookout see that's what you'd say to someone that's on the lookout be paying attention they can't be sleeping when they're on the lookout he's saying be watchful and strengthen the things that which remain that are ready to die saying it's not all lost i love that about the lord he doesn't say you're without hope. Oh, yeah, you've, you're spiritually dead. Forget you. We're not, you know, I didn't want to invest any more time in you at all. He says, no, there's hope. There is some part among you that's spiritually alive. It's being, uh, I'm leading by my Holy Spirit in some part of the body among you. Find out what that is. I see it. You need to know what it is, and you need to strengthen it, cultivate it, water it, care for it so that it will grow. And, and, and within any, any church that has any, that's not completely 100% dead, there's, there's something there that's being spirit led. Someone's being dependent upon the Spirit to, to, to serve in that ministry. Someone's not doing it in their own strength. Someone's doing it out of a motivation of love. Somebody is doing that. Their, how the Lord's using them represents life somewhere. Find that and encourage them and strengthen them. Pray for them. That's what he's saying. Strengthen the things that remain. They're ready to die, but time's not up. There's still time left for you to strengthen those things. And then he says, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Now that can be uh, discouraging to us. Wow, I got to be perfect? The word perfect in the Greek means to be complete. So he's saying, I have not found your works complete before God, and I want you to strengthen those things that are about to die and, and focus on them and watch what I do. And he says in verse 3, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Two words I want you to focus on in verse 3, because we have ten more to go. (laughs) Two words. The first one is remember, and the second one is the word how there. Those are very circleable, those two words in your Bible. And, it, and I want you to know that the word remember is in the present tense in the Greek. What he's saying is keep on remembering because we keep on forgetting <laughs> and it never ends. We keep forgetting how we've received. And that's the second word, how. Notice he doesn't say, remember what you received. Doesn't that scream out at you is as, as, as different? Did you notice that? He said, remember how you have received. Their problems were not doctrinal. That's Pergamos and Thyatira. Their problem was remembering how they received. Because their dead condition was not a result of forgetting what they'd seen and heard. Their dead condition was a result of, of forgetting how they've received and heard. So the big question is well, how did they receive? If they're supposed to remember it, how did they do it? And the answer, I believe, is he's saying, You received what you received. By being dependent upon me. By dependent faith. By trusting in me. You received in humility. When you first came to know the Lord, you received in humility. Everyone has to come as a child in humility. You come to him and then he teaches you. You're brand new in the Lord. I love new believers. I wish we had so many new believers here. We wouldn't know where to put them all. We'd have to figure out how we're going to teach them in terms of a new believer class or whatever. And that's what I'm praying for. Related to this uh, body. We're going that direction. So I want to, you know, remain encouraging because we need to be encouraged. We are growing uh, and people are coming to, to, to Christ. But the way in which they received was being totally dependent upon Jesus in, by faith. And that's what the first thing that can go when we're talking about leaving dependence upon the Lord. Because you think you have it all figured out. You, be, you get too smart for your britches. You ever said that to a child? You're getting too smart for your britches. But that's what we do spiritually. We start thinking that we know better. We start thinking that we can figure this out. You know, it's not by accident that God started the church 2,000 years ago when they didn't have all the toys and didn't have all the gizmos and the technology and marketing and the Internet. And those things have their place, and God uses those things. But one of the things he wanted to do is to show that all you need is me. You're not at a disadvantage if all you have is me. You don't have direct marketing? Okay, so what? You don't have advertising, so what? You don't have uh, every possible man-made gimmick in the world. You're not at a disadvantage. Because I'm going to start the church at a time when they had none of that, and they had incredible persecution, and they turned the world upside down by my grace and by my power. We are not at a disadvantage because all we have is the Holy Spirit. We are completely where God wants us to be when we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And all the mail we get about all these tactics and all these things and trying to put the business model and the marketing model and all these things, I'm sick and tired of even seeing it. I don't want anything to do with it. I want us to be completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And I want each of us individually as people, as believers, to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. To say, God plus nothing is a majority. And and that's who I have. I have him in my life. That's, That's all I need. So he says to them, hold fast and repent, stand steady, stand strong, repent, realize that you haven't been dependent upon me and turn. That's what repent means. It means to turn. Change your mind in a a way that it causes you to turn. So turn back to me. And he says, if you will not pay attention, I will come as a thief and you'll not know what hour I will come upon you. Now, anytime the word thief and the imagery of a thief is used in Scripture, this is the fifth time in the New Testament that this is used. It's usually talking in the context of the second coming, but it's always used in a metaphor, in a, in a, in a metaphorical sense, if that's an adjective, uh, to, to describe something that isn't desirable, that comes uh, upon somebody. And in their history, they and I'll get into all this when we get here, but they had been overtaken, and, it was, and they had been overtaken in, is like a thief, and they had been. They was very much in their history about being overtaken suddenly, and he knew that. And he says to them, "I don't want to come upon you." and he's, he's talking about some form of judgment to them, or allowing them to to walk in their deadness and and the repercussions of of those things. And so he's saying, "I want to see you to you to see this as something that is an acute situation." Because we can read this and just go, "Okay, you know, well, nothing's going to happen if I just blow this off and." But that's not the case. There's all, he doesn't say things just for no reason. There's a reason why he says this. And he knows that there are repercussions for our decisions. Let's just talk about collectively as a body. If we are not dependent upon the Spirit, and the church isn't of the Spirit, then it's going to be of man. And if it's going to be of man, it's not going to be fruitful for the Lord. His assessment of it isn't going to be what he wants it to be. And we're not going to be receiving the rewards that he wants us to receive. And then in our own individual lives, which obviously affects the rest of the body here, we have our own personal rewards. And we have our own fruitfulness in our life that he wants to produce through us. And so he knows that we have been given a stewardship and we're managers over our lives. And he wants those things to be about the abundant life that he came to secure for us. That he's come to bring into the abundant life for us. So that's important. There's repercussions. We have to see the warning in verse three and, and know that whatever those things he's talking about, they're not good. And he doesn't he does he wants us to walk in uh, abundance, spiritual abundance. Verse 4 You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. There's always a remnant. All through the Old Testament, into the New Testament, no matter where a body of believers are or God's people are, no matter who leaves, there's always a remnant related to uh, God's people. And he's saying there are a few names. So look, look at the specificity that he, that he addresses, how much he knows these things. He knows even the few that he says have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy Now the question is, what's he talking about here regarding these garments? And I think there's a difference between, I I know there's a difference between our resurrected bodies that we'll have, our glorified bodies, and Revelation, in fact, later on in Revelation, he talks about being dressed in white robes and so forth, and being glorified and and so forth. And what he's talking about, I believe, is not, in verse 4, he's not talking about our positional righteousness before God. He's talking about our practical holiness that we live out, that we grow in. Sometimes we refer to it as sanctification. Because notice he causes, there's a distinction between garments in verse 4 and white garments in verse 5. Because he says in verse 4, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. Okay, and he says, and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Continues his thought in verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angel. So in verse 4, he's saying there is a remnant among you that they, they have been true to me. And they have been dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And they've been living a life empowered by the Spirit in holiness. And so that's evidence that they're on their way to heaven. It doesn't make them on their way to heaven, that's happened through receiving positional holiness through accepting Christ. But what it is is an evidence that they already have received that, but that will culminate in verse 5 when he says they shall be clothed in white garments. He's talking about they'll be clothed in their new bodies, and their glorified bodies because of Christ's righteousness that have been, uh, that's been put to their accounts. So he wants to encourage those that have been faithful. How discouraging would it have been for those sardines, um, sardinians, whatever, And they're there and they hear this message being read to them and they've been faithful and they've been following the Lord. They have been dependent upon the Holy Spirit and they've been uh, walking in holiness in a practical sense and growing in that and so forth. And there's no encouragement for them. And he says, here's the encouragement. There's a few of you. I know you and you've been walking. You haven't defiled your garments. You haven't been walking in willful disobedience to me. And, and not perfect, of course, but I want to encourage you, you're going to be further clothed in even better garments. You're going to be further clothed in perfectly white garments with your with your new body. And so what an encouragement that would have been to them. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And again, this is a spiritual ear. This is spiritual perception. And Jesus talked about that God's word uh, will produce a crop based on our the fertility of our hearts, the soil of our hearts. Talk to, he says, if you don't understand this parable, you can't understand any of the parables. So he's saying we have to have hearts that are pliable, that are, that are malleable or, or malleable or whatever the word is, that, that, that can be changed and that can produce fruit. And he says, you need to hear. He's not talking about a, a, a physical ear. He's talking about a spiritual ear. To hear, not just hear it spiritually, but act upon it. That's what he's saying. Verse 7. Now he gets to this church in, in Philadelphia. The Calvary Chapel in Philadelphia loves this verse. He says, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things say, He who is holy, who is true, He who is true, He who has the key of David, He who opens and no one shuts, And shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, And no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, Have kept my word, It have not denied my name. Now, this is really the the only church that doesn't have anything negative against it. And that's a great encouragement. That, first of all, shows that we can be a church, that Jesus has nothing bad to say. Of course, he knows we're not going to be perfect, but even in that context, he could look at us and say, I have nothing major to say to this church, and that's what we want to be. And that's what we want our personal lives to represent here. But he says to them, I see it. I know your works. I see it. I see everything that you're about. And he says, I have set before you an open door no one can shut. Now what he says in verse 7 is that I open doors and I shut doors and no one can shut the doors that I open and no one can open the doors that I shut. He's talking about his sovereignty here. He's talking about ministry opportunities. Over and over again, the Apostle Paul would refer to ministry as an open door. Pray that I would have an open door in, you know, in Rome or whatever he would uh, describe to them. So we need to see that God wants to open doors and he's sovereign over these doors, these ministry opportunities in our lives. And if he's going to hold a door open, no one's going to shut it. And if he shuts a door, no one's going to be able to open it. We have to have that confidence because ministry is something that has to be spirit-directed. And, and, and as long as I know that God is going to lead me, he's going to show me and that these opportunities will never go away if he doesn't want them to go away. And the only, the ones that show up are there because he wants them to be there. Then that gives me incredible confidence. And so we, as a church, what opportunities is he going to open up for us this year? We have to recognize that if he opens them, they're going to stay open, first of all. And if he shuts them, I don't care how much we pull on those doors as a church they're not going to open. So we need to say, Jesus, you're the Lord of this church. You're, you're the head of this church. You're the head of this body. We don't want to be doing anything that you don't want us to be doing. And we're not going to try to open opportunities that you're not opening. And we're not going to try to close them that ones that you're, that you want it to to remain open because we won't be able to stop that open door. You won't be able to stop opportunities. You hear that? Are you hearing what I'm saying? We won't be able to stop opportunities that he wants us to to take advantage of. So we have to be sensitive to that. Now, there are two obstacles we see here for this church. The first one we see in verse 8, it says that you have little strength. Now, that's not a criticism. We could see that as a criticism. It's not a criticism at all. It's something that's a challenge. It's not a bad thing to have little strength. Sometimes we think if we have little strength, spiritual strength, that somehow, you know, we're, we're second-class citizens uh, in, in the body of Christ or whatever, and God doesn't see that. This church was doing what they were supposed to be doing. They've, it says in verse 8, you have kept my word, you have not denied my name. This means there were opportunities for them to deny him and to not keep his word, and they stayed true. And that can take a toll on your life. Some of you are tired spiritually. You've been serving. You've been going. God wants to encourage you. He recognizes, yeah, you may have little strength, but that doesn't stop the doors that he wants to remain open for you. It doesn't stop the fact that he can close doors he doesn't want you to go through. So that's the first op- obstacle. Second obstacle is human opposition. He says in verse 9, "Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie." Now I want to stop there because I want to identify who these are. These were unbelieving Jews. That were harassing these Jewish, the, those that were Jewish believers, probably not allowing them to come into the synagogue ever. Not that they were wanting to go there all the time, obviously. There's churches and so forth, but they were persecuting them. They were they were harassing them. Romans chapter two tells us what a true spiritual Jew is, or who a, a, the identity of a true Jew. It's from the heart. It says for he, verse twenty-eight and verse twenty-nine of Romans two says. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. And so he's talking about people that are really submitted to God, that really have the circumcision of the heart, where they've been set apart in their hearts before God. Those are the true Jews. It doesn't matter Uh, you know, what they say outwardly, what they do outwardly. Jesus is always confronting the Pharisees that were great outwardly, but inside they were wicked. They weren't true Jews in the sense of God seeing their hearts set apart for him. They were wicked. And so he's saying these people who claim to be something great, they're not anything legitimately, but they've been, they were coming against this church. And, he, and, and Jesus recognizes that. Now he continues there in the verse. He says, Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. And so whatever human opposition they they experience and whatever human opposition we experience in, in our faithful walk, uh, our desire to walk faithfully before the Lord, they are not going to have the final say. So maybe you have a family member, you have someone in your life that's Talking a lot and talking against your walk. People are talking a lot about Tebow's walk. Are they going to have the final say? Absolutely not. God's going to have the final say. Any opposition that we have in being faithful to him in walking through those ministry opportunities that no man can shut. God's going to be faithful, and any adversary that he he allows to be in our lives, those adversaries are not going to have the final say. For sure, as believers, we know the enemy is not going to have the final say in our lives. Because at the end of revelation he talks about the, that the devil and the false prophets are thrown into the lake of fire. And so we're going to we're we're going to probably see that and witness that and and see our enemies be put at the at our feet in that sense. And we know that for sure Jesus is going to have his enemies be put at his feet. So this this second promise here in verse 10, he says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And I really believe this is talking about the great tribulation, the seven year great tribulation. And if he would keep this church from that, of course, he's kept all churches from that because it hasn't happened yet. And I believe that he's talking about, and it's not just, I don't believe a local trial because he says, the uh, the hour trial which shall come upon the whole world. I don't think it's local to that area of the world. is talking about the whole world, and that's why after chapter four, you don't see the church at all in the book of Revelation all the way through to the to the end. You don't see the church on earth there, and I believe that they're they're gone for that. So that's an incredible promise, because we're not going to, exp- and then we're living in I believe the last of the last days. The last days started in Acts chapter 2, and Peter stood up and quoted Joel and said, in the last days, and he's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe the last days are all the way from the book, the time that when he uh, quoted that. And so, but we're in the, I believe the last of the last days, things are aligning in an amazing way. An amazing way with these, church, these countries coming together, and we have the possible, you know, cashless society. Uh, being able to be formed at any moment, that's going to happen. I mean, it's just getting closer and closer. And that means that if, this, if the second coming of Christ at the end of the seven-year tribulation is getting closer, then how much more is the rapture of the church? It's like the famous saying, you know, if when you start seeing Christmas stuff out on shops and in malls and stuff, you're going, wow, look how close Thanksgiving is getting. <laughs> because you're, you go, if Christmas is, if I see the signs of Christmas coming, how much closer is Thanksgiving? That's the same way. If we're seeing the signs come together for, the, for that very end where Christ comes physically back with us at the end of that seven-year tribulation, how much closer are we to the rapture of the church? Any moment we could be snatched away. Any moment. It's always been imminent in the eyes of uh, God's people. And so it's a beautiful promise. And the third promise as we get ready to make our landing here. Um, he says in verse 12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and, and will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him ear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as we close here, we're, we're heading into a new year. We're in a new year already. What's he saying to us? What's he saying to us as a church? I think in summary, he's saying we need to remain dependent upon the Holy Spirit. For every part of our ministry, every part of our lives, we need to guard against doing the conventional wisdom just because everybody else in the, in the church world, so to speak, is, are doing certain things. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to do them. And that whoever is supposed to be serving in whatever capacity needs to be handpicked by the Holy Spirit. And that whoever is serving in those ministries needs to be doing it with, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, with the motivation of love. Not supremely to meet some need in their life. That's not what God's aiming at for his people. The supreme motivation is, I'm serving God, I'm loving him with my life, and I love his people. And yes, I'll get blessed. That's incidental. But the primary purpose is... I. I want to service people. I want to give my life away, and I can't do it in my own strength. I need to do it in his strength, by his grace, by his power. And when the parts all are doing that, the whole, whole is supernatural And 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 because the parts make up the whole, and the whole make up the parts. So it's important for us to remember, and in our personal lives, to remember we may have little strength. We may, we, we're trying to keep his word. We're trying to not deny his name. We're trying to... These same type of things. We may have little strength. But remember, God's strength is what we really need. Because as we get weaker and weaker, as we yield to him, he gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And he starts working supernatural things through our lives. It, we shouldn't be limited by our strength because he is supernaturally strong through our lives. And then he'll put our enemies at our, at our feet. He will... There's no human relationship that's going to have the last say that's speaking against the things of God in our lives. It's a beautiful thing. He gives incredible promises that we're going to be with him in heaven. We're going to have a new name. We have a name on our foreheads, his name. We're going to have a new body. We're going to be dressed in all white, in those white robes, in a sense, having our resurrected bodies before him. We have to keep the eternal perspective in mind. It's important for us to have the eternal perspective. What's going on in our lives at any given moment from his perspective? How does heaven see our situation at any given moment? What does God say about our situation, a, a conversation that we're having, or a circumstance that we find ourselves in? What's God's perspective? What would he have us do? And as we do that, we are reinforcing it before our own lives that we are his and he is using us. And then he can look at our church and say to the church to the angel in the church of, uh, of Mantica, well done, good and faithful servants. That's what we want to hear, and that's what I'm hoping that we will hear. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, and we want to hear what you have to say. Thank you for changing things up and speaking to us and redirecting us and exhorting us and encouraging us. Help us, Father, to be the men and women that you've called us to be, for such a time as this, Lord, in human history. We don't want to miss one ministry opportunity. We don't want to miss one thing that you want to do through our lives. We want to be the best husbands we can be. We want to be the best wives we can be. We want to be the best friends we can be. We want to be everything that you have us to be, but by your strength and by your power, help us to never leave dependence upon your Holy Spirit. Help us to remember how we've received totally dependent upon you by faith and in humility. Help us as a body, Lord, to never forget that, never leave that, and never think that we have a better way to live than to live directed by you. We thank you for the privilege of being able to live a different kind of life. We thank you, Lord, that holiness is its own reward. Help us all to grow in that as we spur one another on towards your love and your good deeds that you have through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.